Merry Christmas. That's my Santa voice. Hey, welcome to the Madison Story Slam podcast. It is I, your host, Adam Rosted, here with a bunch of stories from our December 2017 event, The Nightmare That Is Christmas. Hey, this is being released a couple days after Christmas, but I just wanted to say Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all of you who are members of our community, or if you're listening for this the first time, still, I hope you had a very good holiday this season and that your new year will be just as great as this year was. And if it was a bad year this year, hopefully it'll be better in the new year. Hey, we've got a lot of great stories on this episode, all about Christmases and some of the bad aspects of Christmas, some of the good aspects of Christmas tons of great stories i want you to be sure to listen in and listen to the whole thing we're not splitting this one up it's going to be the full night uh the full recording of the night on this episode hey just so you know on january 20th it's our first story slam of the 2018 season and like i said that's saturday january 20th the theme is liar liar So come tell us about times you've lied or maybe been lied to and how that screwed up your plans. Then on February 8th, we are teaming up with Wisconsin Public Television for their Garden Expo. We are doing a a story slam. And the theme for that one is resilience and gardening. Again, that's February 8th, which I believe is a Thursday. We're doing that at the Frequency in Madison, so not at our regular place of the Wilmar Center. So you can come out to the Frequency and tell some stories about gardening. And then on Saturday, February 17th, is our regular monthly story slam at the Wilmar Center. And the theme that night will be, there will be blood. So it's probably going to get kind of gory. There's some more info on that on our Facebook page. Just search Madison Story Slam on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Facebook.com slash Madison Story Slam is where you can find that. Hey, one thing I want to tell you about this recording. At this event, we did something special. We had a storyteller uh, by the name of Emily Schindler who told a story that involved breast cancer. And so then we did a special thing where uh, our CD sales that night during one of the breaks, we would donate that to a breast cancer charity. And in five minutes, we raised $250. So that went to uh, the, the breast cancer charity that we chose. The info on that will be on our Facebook as soon as we get a receipt back from them. And uh, that's awesome. So that's really all I've got. If you like what we do, support us at patreon.com slash Madison Story Slam. Enough of my jibber jabber. Let's just get to some stories. Here is Karen Huseman. Hi. I'm glad the lights are bright because I can't see any of you. Okay, so it's the nightmare that is Christmas. So when I was a little kid, well, maybe they still do it. Um, You write a list, you give it to your grandmother or your grandfather or to Santa of all the things that you want for Christmas. So as soon as I could write, I don't know, I was an early bloomer, I suppose, and I was writing, and writing my list at three, two and a half, three years old. And every year, every single year, I wanted a horse. I just really wanted a horse. But I also, the bright kid that I was, put on my list, I want a horse with a year supply of food. (laughs) 
So I figured after a year, I could figure it out. I don't know, maybe they would like the horse too, and they would continue to feed it. <laughs> so years go by, so three, four, five, six years old, same list. I mean, I wasn't recycling it year after year. There were other things on the list, but there was always that horse with a year's supply of food. So five years go by, I'm probably eight years old, and I'm like, this has to be the year. Christmas comes, same kind of thing, with the family, cousins, everybody around, opening gifts. I'm like, okay, where's the horse? There's no horse, looking around. I'm like, it has to be the year. Please let it be the year. And then I'm opening my boxes of gifts, and there's this one, and I open it up, and I stared at it, and stared for the longest time. It was a horse. It was a plastic horse <laughs> with a bag of bird seed tied around its neck. <laughs> Apparently, I forgot to write live horse on this year's Christmas list. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. I think we've all had those times where we're like, I just know this is the year I'm getting this thing that I want. And then it's close, but it's not. And then we do that thing. Like the grandparents give it to you and you do, they're like, that's the one you wanted, right? And you're like, yes. <laughs> so much. And then if you're me, like you finish opening presents and then you go to your mom and she's like, I'll exchange it. I'll, I'll take care of it which is uncomfortable. Um, our next storyteller just got a brand new job and I'm real happy for him. Uh, and he's a great storyteller. He's told a lot of stories here. So please put your hands together for Zachary Shea. When Adam first uh, released the event for this month on Facebook. It was during the last story slam, I think, that it showed up on my feed. I checked my phone and it said, the nightmare that is Christmas. And I was like, Adam, how dare you? Christmas is lovely and magical. I can't think of a story about bad things related to Christmas. Well, I mean, I'm up here, so I thought of one. Um, I'm kind of a Christmas guy, definitely, but not always. When I was a kid, I wasn't really that into Christmas. I mean, I was into Christmas, the amount a kid who gets a good amount of free stuff on Christmas is, but there was a lot of obligation, particularly. It was this mad rush from Christmas Eve night to Christmas Day around five of two big parties with big Catholic families. My dad is from a big Catholic family. He's one of 11 kids. And 11 are married, nine have children, and eight have more than one child. And I think at this point also, I have cousins with kids. Oh, God. There's more than 50 of them, and my relationship to them is very similar to my relationship to the states in the union. Like, if you gave me 10 minutes, I could name them all, but if you gave me a map and asked me to pick out the specific ones, I would make a lot of mistakes. I know who Billy and James are, but if you asked me which one is Billy, 
we're recording this, aren't we? <laughs> oh, and there's so many of them, and it's, it's this Christmas Eve party, and it's big, and of course, not everyone gets along because there's a lot of them, and you know, red states, blue states, it's a lot of people fighting, and my dad ends up in the middle of a lot of those fights because he's sort of neutral ground. Like, he's very great at parties. He's the life of the party, but he is just, like, his decisions can decide, determine a lot, and I'm realizing in this state analogy, my dad is Florida. <laughs> anyway, I used to know them all pretty well because big Catholic family, we got together on Sundays, and we had, ma after Mass, we had brunch. So I would hang out with my cousins once a week, and I would see my aunts and uncles who lived in the Boston area once a week. We're from the Boston area, but at one point my parents moved with me, of course, from the Boston area to right outside, like within commuting distance, but far enough that you can say no to a lot of casual engagements, which I'm realizing may have been on purpose. <laughs> but we still had to go to Christmas Eve party with the Shays. That was probably the one time of the year I saw a lot of my cousins and my Nana and Papa, my grandparents. And there was you know, a rhythm to Christmas Eve. I would show up. I would have to make the rounds to all my aunts and uncles, let them hug me or give me a kiss, let my Nana give me a kiss, which was always miserable because she gives those really wet kisses, you know, those ones that are just like she might as well have been licking me. And the worst part was I had to let her kiss me twice because later in the evening was when she gave her gifts to all of the grandkids and I had to go and say thank you and let her give me this slobbery kiss, which I mean, I did, it was clothes and I was four or five. I didn't even like the clothes and I had to say thank you for these gifts, but my mom told me, you know, you never know when she's not going to be around, so let her give you the gross slobbery kiss and be on your way. I got better at being thankful about it at a certain, there was one Christmas I remember in particular where I got the gift and I remember saying how nice it was and it was such a nice sweater and I can't remember if I was saying that because I was really starting to think that at that point or if because all my other cousins were also saying that and I was getting the sense that that's the thing I'm supposed to say. But I said it and my other cousin said offhand, you know, it's really sad because we have cousins who aren't, you know, they're like one, they're not even conscious and grandma's not going to know who they are. That's the first time I really, it really stuck that my grandmother was sick, but I didn't know it. So I just said yes. The next year, the rhythm of Christmas changed a bit. Instead of being at my Nana and Papa's place like it normally was, it was actually at one of my aunt's. And everyone was still there, and the fights were a little worse, but they were still in the peripheral, and I was a kid, and I didn't really get those, so I was like, whatever, it's fine. Because from Grandma, I got a check, which was sweet. Money's great, right? Nice, crisp check. It's all typed out. I don't even have to think about it. It's not closed. It's great. And I didn't even process until next year that it was my dad preparing the checks and not Grandma. 
Nana and Papa, the reason they didn't hold Christmas that year is because they moved out to a new apartment, uh, a little bit more accessible for an older couple, especially when one of them was starting to get deeper and deeper into her Alzheimer's. And I didn't know too much about this, I just sort of knew my dad was spending more and more time in the Boston area, like after work, he would stay there and work on a few things. Uh, but I did see Grandma at Christmas, this new rhythmed Christmas. And I said hello, she gave me a kiss. After a while, she stopped saying my name, uh, which was fine, whatever, because it was always a quick rush all the grandkids by Grandma, and sometimes she left a little early, more times she left a little early. And then, it didn't, my papa died at a healthy age for a man. And my grandma came to that next Christmas and my parents said, go say hi to grandma. And that was the first time I was talking to a woman I didn't know, or she didn't know me, so I guess I didn't know her either. It's hard to decide how I'm supposed to define that sort of interaction. And she said hi. She was really embarrassed because she was supposed to know who I was, but she didn't. And I got whisked away real quick before it got worse for her. And my mom said, whatever, it's no big deal. It's not even Christmas for her. It's just another night. I'm a really big Christmas guy right now. Like I love Christmas. And I wonder if, I don't want it to be just another night. My grandma's still alive, my nana. I haven't seen her in four years, actually. She lives in a home that takes care of her. My father has seen her on occasion, but even him, I get the sense that it's not worth it, the visits, besides making sure she's comfortable and taken care of. And it, but she doesn't get anything out of seeing him that she wouldn't be able to get out of seeing her nurse. And her Alzheimer's is it's, 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 the, it's the kind that's it's pretty genetic. Like, it doesn't mean my chances are 50% or 100% or something high, but it does mean it's above average. And I don't want Christmas to just be another day or feel like I'm not there. So I always go in 100% now every Christmas. Thank you. Thank you, Zach. Once again, please put your hands together for Tom Schmidt as he tells the Rusty story. Well, anyway, I love telling this story, so this is really a treat for me. It's like an early Christmas gift. So um, my cousin Fred and I uh, 
Fred lived in a, a small town in central Wisconsin, not, not that far from here. And uh, my grandmother, my mother was born there. So we'd, I'd go up there pretty often and visit. Fred and I are the same age. And uh, Fred and I, one day when we were screwing around, we were maybe you know, 10, 11, somewhere in that area. We decided that it'd be a good idea to shit on Ro Rusty's head. <laughs> and so, So we, my grandmother, uh, you know, it was a real small community, so across the, the road from her was a cheese factory, and there was a whole series of big trees, you know, running around along the ditch. And this road, not many people dr drove on it. I don't even know where it went. Um, it was a very small community. And so we decided that what we would do is I would climb up this one tree and sit in the crotch of the tree and then my cousin Fred would go over and get our friend <laughs> Rusty over and and he would lure Rusty you know to, and to, so that Rusty would would stand against you know, with his back against the tree and I would uh, drop my pants, and, and Rusty, not knowing I was there, and I would shit on Rusty's head. <laughs> and and as, a, as a kid, you know, we didn't use words like shit, you know. It, it would have been a turd. <laughs> we certainly would not have said defecate. So in any event, Fred got Rusty, and I was up in the tree. Now, this is in my grandmother's front yard. And so anyway, I, but you know, when you're young, you don't think about consequences and you don't think about other than just having a good time. <laughs> and so I was up in the tree and Fred got rusty over and I dropped my pants and, and uh, I was loaded. <laughs> and uh, anyway, this turd came out and... <laughs> You remember those, those, when you're a kid, well, when my kids were kids, they, we had these, this, like this, an octopus kind of thing, and you throw it against the wall, and it would just kind of flop, you know, down the wall. Well, anyway, that's what this turd did. And it flopped down, and it landed right here, you know, and Rusty, you know. And then he looked up, and there I was. Well, anyway... At that point, all of a sudden, the, you know, we realized that we really hadn't thought this through all that well. <laughs> Fred and I, that is. And um, I got out of the tree, and Fred and I tried to conjole Rusty because, again, he was our friend. And we uh, decided that uh, we would take him over to Toonies and get him a uh, dad's root beer and a Tootsie Roll, which seemed to calm all of us down. And uh, anyway, that's, that's what happened. Well, that night, my grandmother was very religious, and we, she had a, uh, like a prayer meeting. Now, I had never been invited to one of these before. And typically, you know, when we'd go to church, my grandmother in her purse would have peppermints to keep me from fidgeting. 
And uh, when I went to church with my parents, I was sat in between them and I got elbows, you know, from both sides. But Grandma always had these peppermints for me. Well, anyway, at this prayer meeting, we were sitting there and she didn't have the peppermints this time. She had a, I guess it would be like, a, like taffy, and it was in a roll. And, you know, when you unwrapped it, the first thing I thought is, boy, she knows, because why would she give me a peanut butter-shaped or tasting roll that was not all unlike that thing that fell out of the tree? And I don't know if she ever knew or not, but nonetheless, in the back of my mind and my conscience was playing games with me, and that's my rusty story. <laughs> Doesn't fit with Christmas at all, does it? Thank you, Tom. All right, our next storyteller is also very wonderful. She's told many stories at Story Slam, and I laugh every single time. Maybe we won't laugh this time. Maybe it'll be a serious story. I don't know. Where'd you go? Oh, there you are. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, please put your hands together for Mel Hammond. It was Christmas morning. I was in high school. I was probably 15. And I opened my first present, and it was a box. And on the box was a picture of a rock. And inside the rock, there, there was a little hole in the picture of the rock, and there was a little tiny cricket peeking its head out. And then staring up at the cricket from below was a little green lizard. So what I received was a feeding rock for lizards, and I knew my gift was pet lizards. So I started screaming with joy. I ran around the house. I started climbing up the door frames. I was so excited. I'd wanted lizards for so long. And sure enough, the next gift I opened was a terrarium to hold the lizards and to put the rock in. So I opened everything up. I got it all set up. Um, my next gift was um, that like the wooden shavings that you have for like hamsters. Not really the correct bedding for lizards, but like it was fine. Um, it was part of the whole package. I was like, all right, I can work with this. And then the final gift that I opened that year was just a piece of paper that said four to five lizards. So I, d I didn't get the lizards that day, but I got the promise of lizards in the future. So I was ecstatic. I, have, I had never been so happy on a Christmas morning before. So we had to go visit my grandparents, um, and then when we got back, that's when we were going to go to the store and get the lizards. So we go to the pet store, and we say, um, we, we want four to five lizards. <laughs> um, so we go to the back, and the pet store lady gets a little cardboard box, and she has to reach into this huge clear terrarium to pick out the lizards. Um, and so she reaches in, and they're just like going wild all over the terrarium. Um, so she kind of has to reach around for a while, and then she'll grab one, and then it'll like climb up her arm, and she'll like shake it into the box. Um, so she did this again and again, and she kept kind of losing count of the lizards because they were so squirrely, and like somehow they hid in this cardboard box, even though it wasn't that big. So when we got home, there were six lizards in the box. And I was like, oh, yeah. I tricked the pet store. 
<laughs> I have a couple lizards. <laughs> so, um, oh, another thing we brought home from the pet store were some feeding crickets, which came in this little box. Um, and so I, I got the, the various animals home, um, put the lizards into their terrarium. I had already started naming them on the car ride home. I can't remember all of the names today. I just texted my mom to ask, and she could only remember one. But I know um, there was Uncle Jonas, um, there was Ponce de Leon, and um, there was one that I just called Lizard, but with two Zs. <laughs> she was actually named after my childhood friend, who I'd also named Lizard with two Zs. Um, so, Got these lizards home, and then I had the crickets. Um, I think there were, there were 10 or so of the crickets. Um, so I put them into the little rock. There was a little cap on the rock, and then you put the crickets in, and put the cap on, and then put it in the terrarium. And the crickets like gradually make their way out the little hole. And then the lizards, this was the best part about having lizards, just watching them creep up on the cricket. Um, I had like a stick in there so they would like climb up the stick and then look down at the cricket and just watch it for, for so long. And then when the time was right, it would just pounce and open its mouth and like bite the cricket and eat it in one bite. Um, so it was very fun to watch. I was so excited about these lizards. So Christmas time passes, the new year comes, and I start to um, become acquainted with the daily rituals of actually caring for these lizards. And it turns out they are a lot more work and a lot less joy than I expected. So one thing that was really tricky with the lizards, I would kind of caught a glimpse of at the pet store. These lizards were always on the lookout for an escape route. So anytime I would open the top of the terrarium to put in food or clean something, um, they would immediately try to hop out of the terrarium. Um, and I, I had the terrarium in my room, so often I had multiple lizards scurrying around my room and I'd have to jump around and grab them and put them back in. Um, so that was pretty difficult. The, another really awful thing about having lizards is also having pet crickets in the wings ready to feed to the lizards. Um, they smell horrible. Um, and my parents wanted to save money, so they bought um, bulk crickets, like a hundred crickets um, for my six lizards. And I kept them in this big Rubbermaid container. Um, and I would drop pieces of fruit in there. Um, and all the crickets did was just shit all day long. <laughs> And it, it was the worst smell I've ever smelled. I, when I hear a cricket noise today, I still like cringe and remember that smell. So I kept that in the basement. And so every time I needed to feed these lizards, I would go down and like corral these crickets into the, their little feeding rock and then take them back upstairs and just gag the whole time. It was horrible. And then the final really awful thing about having lizards is that they would get sick, but they um, weren't the type of pet that you could like take to the vet. Like with lizards, you you just at least this is what my family did. We just called the pet store and asked questions like, "Why does my lizard have a giant tumor on the side of its neck?" 
Um, why won't my lizards eat anything? Why are my lizards getting really skinny um, and starting to die? Um, so one by one, my lizards did start to die. Um, and it, it's really sad for your lizard to die, especially when you've named it something like Uncle Jonas. Um, so gradually they would die, um, and they're too big to flush, so you have to like put them in the, the real trash. Um, and so I went through five lizards, um, and then I had my one final lizard left. Surprisingly, it was the lizard with the giant tumor on its neck. It outlasted all the others. Um, and it, the, the tricky thing about having only one lizard is that um, you, the, the lizard only eats about one cricket a week. So your bulk supply of crickets <laughs> um, down in the basement, they just get stinkier and stinkier. Um, <laughs> and you know that your one lizard is never going to eat all of those crickets. Um, so by the time um, Christmas rolled around the next year, I was really, really regretting my gift from the previous year. So I vowed, like, no more reptiles. Um, eventually that lizard did die as well. And very tragically, um, it turned out that one lizard that I thought had escaped, I found a very cute lizard skeleton <laughs> under the um, hamster bedding <laughs> when I cleaned out the, the um, terrarium for the very last time. <laughs> So my story was tragic. <laughs> Thank you. You know, you just got to love some of the names that kids come up with for their pets. Anyway, this is the mid-episode break where I tell you about how I love what we do here at Madison Story Slam. I love the community aspect of what we do. And I love the friends that I've made. I just love everything about it. And I hope you do too. I hope that you feel uh, what, a, what a few people have said to me in the last couple months. That it really feels like Madison Story Slam is accomplishing something more than just funny or serious stories once a month. But it really truly does feel like a community. If you would like to play a bigger part in that community and help us pay for our website and the podcast hosting fees and our rent of the Wilmar Center... The easiest way that you can do that is to come to one of our monthly storytelling events and get raffle tickets or get beverages from the kitchen. But if you can't make it, maybe you want to be a monthly sponsor of what we do by going to patreon.com slash madisonstoryslam, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash madisonstoryslam. You can sign up to be a monthly sponsor. There are some rewards and goals we're trying to hit, and that would be a huge help. Anyway, just like the intro, I think I'm jabbering too much. So let's just go back to some stories. Put your hands together for Maureen Matusiewicz. This is great because I have a really sucky story tonight. So I'm ready. When I was four, Christmas Eve, my mom said Santa's watching, go to bed. And that was like magic because I had a list of three things that I wanted for Christmas and one was a chatty Kathy doll. They had this really great technology where you pull the string and it says, hi, I want to be your friend. Hi, I'm chatty Kathy. 
So I really thought I had it in the bag because I'd been good for like three days. <laughs> and I went to bed and I fell asleep and I woke up like at two and the house was just completely quiet. So I had short hair and I was kind of chubby, so just kind of like picture here, 40 pounds in these little flannel pajamas and I creeped downstairs and the tree was beautiful, and there must have been 25, 30 presents. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's for me. It's for me. <laughs> and I looked, and I had three older brothers and an older sister, and I started going through the packages, and it wasn't turning out well for me at all. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Santa made a mistake here. I'm not going to freak out. I'm going to take care of this problem. There's the situation here. And I knew how to write my name. And no one was around. And I, I was so sure that it, it was a legitimate problem that just really needed to be solved. And so I looked around, and I couldn't find a pen or pencil. But I found a crayon. And that was my writing utensil of choice. So I changed quite a few packages. <laughs> and Maureen has quite a few letters. And so if you're writing with a crayon on one of those little... And you have to scratch out your brother's name and then write... Sometimes I had to go to the second line or go behind on... No one, no one heard me, and I, I was just like, I, I think my work here is done. <laughs> and after I had enough changed, I, I went back upstairs, and I felt really great about it. I, I mean, I was like, and I had no remorse at all. And I know what you're thinking is that I was a little psychopath. And so... I went online today and I took the test for her and clearly no remorse. And then illusions of grandeur. I mean, I thought I was better than Santa, like the best guy in the whole world. I, was, I knew more than Santa. And so I was a little concerned about myself, but then um, I was taking it for my four-year-old self and it said, um, sexually promiscuous, and I'm like, I'm in the clear. I, I was not sexually promiscuous at four. I'm, I'm okay. So morning comes, and everybody goes downstairs, and I came down so happy. I was like, this is going to be, this is going to be so good. And I sat down, and I was just grinning, and um, nobody knew, so... The first package, one of my brothers said, well, this says Marine on it. So he handed it to me, and I opened it up, and it was a chemistry set. <laughs> I'm like, and my brother's, that was his chemistry set. And so the gig was up. And pretty soon, they're realizing, the BB gun, Marine. <laughs> um, okay, so... They figured it out, and I was, I can't believe this is happening. I, I mean, how could they know? Like, 
Santa is gone. He's flown off. He's here from like a week after Thanksgiving until Christmas Day, and then he's gone. You don't hear from him again. You don't worry about him, and here, like, I don't get it. So that's kind of sad. But, you know, it, it passed, and actually my mom kind of laughed about it. So from that I learned when I became a mother, I wrap like everything for my kids, annoyingly so, like um, Lifesaver storybooks. You know, those got wrapped until they were 28, 25, and socks, and every, so that they would have a lot of presents. And I don't have to do that anymore. I'm over that. And so I'm taking away what I learned from this whole lesson, and am I really that different from her, that little girl? And I realized today that I'm not because what I want for Christmas was to have my niece and great-niece come and stay with me. And that's all you have to do is sign your name. Like, you don't have to deal with real money. You just have to, like, sign your name. So that's what I did, and I'm looking forward to my niece and great-niece to be here with me at Christmas. Thank you. Please put your hands together for Jesse Nixon. All right. I actually love Christmas. I love everything about it. I always did, even when I was little. I loved getting the ornaments out of the boxes and picking my ornaments and making sure I got the ornaments that were mine and not my sister's or my brother's. I especially loved when the JCPenney's Christmas catalog came out with the special toy section. I would spend hours figuring out what was the perfect gift and what gift would I actually get? I knew there were some things my parents weren't going to get me, even if, even if I put it top of my list. So I would go through, circle, make perfect decisions. I would earmark the pages, and then I would make a list for my parents. But I also had to think about, I started to realize that, so I'm a middle child, and I started to realize that my sister, who's older, always got really cool gifts. Like, she got a boom box. Um, and I was pretty sure that I needed one of those, and then my brother was younger, and so he got some really exciting toys. I also, as a middle child, always thought that I kind of like was missing out on something. Like, because I wasn't there, there were conversations that were happening, and I needed to be there to make sure that I knew what was going on. So I lived in this little town. Actually, it's Algoma, Wisconsin. It's up in the itty-bitty like Thumb of Wisconsin. And our house was right next door to the movie theater, the only movie theater in, um, in town. It had one movie. And our house had this huge window. It was an excellent window for setting stages, doing plays. It was the huge window, and everybody could see it when they walked by this little town. Now, this is a town that actually everybody really does know everybody. And my mom was a teacher, and so really... Everybody knew who we were. Everybody knew who she was. Um, they would walk by, wave at the window. So um, did I mention I always felt like I needed to be, I needed to be in the center of action, like I didn't want to miss out on anything. So one year I um, was in the restroom, um, and I hear from my mom, Jesse, hurry up, hurry up, get out here. And I was really little, really little. Um, and I thought, oh my God, I have to get out there right now. I don't have time to pull up my pants. <laughs> and so 
I ran and ran out to the window, and out in front of the whole window were carolers <laughs> from all of the schools in the town. I actually don't remember anything after that because I think I died of embarrassment. <laughs> But despite that fact, I still love Christmas.、Um, it happened around Christmas. I saw carolers today, and I was like, I have to tell that story.、Um, that's all. Thank you. <laughs> Our next storyteller is Emily Schindler. So please clap for Emily Schindler. Hello. All right. So point number one: I have literally never been to a story slam before, and now I'm doing this. So. So great.、Um, so my story is a title,、uh, and it's called "Christmas in the Sky Zone."、Uh, raise your hand if you know about Sky Zone. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> well, I have been to Sky Zone two times this week. <laughs> and so this is going to be a story about my week for you. Okay. So Sunday, we'll start at Sky Zone Number One.、Uh, I have two children; they are four and six. They are named Henry and Vivian.、Um, and my parents on Sunday took me and my children to the Sky Zone. And it is important for you to know that at that visit to the Sky Zone, I sat and watched my children just go nuts. You know, and it's really great when you're a mom and your kids are going nuts and you are just sitting there. <laughs> like it is so so important to my existence. So,、uh, and my parents just sat there too, right? So we were all just watching our kid, watching the kids go nuts. It is important to also know that the Wednesday prior, so a week and a half ago, I had a biopsy. That confirmed a recurrence of breast cancer, and so we were sitting there. And when you're in the sky zone, both the trampoline park and the atmosphere that you enter when you are diagnosed with cancer, you just kind of you're sitting there, just staring off, like. What the hell is even happening right now? Right? Like I have that experience at Sky Zone, anyways. Right? It's chaos. There's kids running everywhere. People are literally jumping off of the walls. It's happening, right?、Um, but on this particular time, I was like, "What the hell is happening?" Context. I was diagnosed the first time with breast cancer in April of 2015, and I was 31. My kids were four and one,、uh, and I have BRCA-associated.、Uh, BRCA is this breast cancer gene. I don't know how much you need to know about that, but anyways.、Um, so I was diagnosed pretty early through like. You know, early monitoring and all that stuff, and also sidebar, I'm doing a PhD 
uh, and, and have not taken any time off of my PhD while I've had cancer and my two children. I just feel like I need to say that into a microphone. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, so every semester I would have treatment and then surgery, right? And I just finished my last surgery last Christmas. So this was the one, right? This was the Christmas that I was not going to have cancer. Anyhow, Monday. So Sunday, Sky Zone. Monday, call from oncologist. We got to get more cells. We don't have enough cells. We got to get more cells. We don't know what the tumor receptors are. Okay. But we don't know if we can biopsy you again. Just hang on. Okay. Tuesday. Nothing. Uh, Wednesday. Call from my oncologist again. She says, uh, yeah, so radiology will not biopsy that lymph node again because it turns out we shouldn't have done that in the first place because it's right near your lung and your rib and also the nerve that controls your arm. So I was like, oh, thank you for that. Uh, and so that's Wednesday. So she says, hang on. So Wednesday night, do you all know about my chart? Yeah. So Wednesday night, I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> You're going to get it now. And I email my surgical oncologist, and I say, here's what's going to happen. You're going to do your surgery thing. You're going to get this fucker out right now. Right now. Uh, it turns out that my surgical oncologist is a very forgiving woman, which is good, but also kind of scary. Like, I'm glad she's on my team. Um, she calls me the next day and is like, it's Thursday. She says, how about no? We can maybe get that out, but remember how we couldn't even do a biopsy there? The surgery is going to be 10 hours. So that's Thursday. On Fridays, my husband works at night. And uh, he's working tonight as well. He works at Gray's, if you go there. Tip heavily. Um, and I have the kids by myself. And so, you know, it's about 4.45. I pick my kids up at 5 from daycare. And by the way, I forgot to say, we did tell them on Monday. And my son, who has been through this before and remembers me going through chemo and losing my hair and doing the whole nine, um, he says, well, mom, what kind of cancer do you think this is gonna be? <laughs> do you think it's gonna be the kind where you die? Or do you think you're gonna have treatment and get better? He's six, so. And I go, I think it's going to be the kind where I have treatment and get better, but I'm glad we just got right to that, you know? <laughs> um, so it's Friday. I'm picking up my kids, 
And I was just like, Jesus Christ, what the hell am I going to do right now? And so I said, Sky Zone. (laughs) And we went back. And I did not sit on the side for Sky Zone this time. I was like, I am getting all of this. All of the trampolines. I am bouncing off the walls. I'm going to be the craziest person in here. And I was. And my son and I bounced into this giant, they have like, like this giant like inflatable mattress that you jump off a trampoline into, right? And we were doing this. I mean, I probably did it like 50 times. Like it was awesome. And I did it with my son. And you know, because I'm bigger, I create a bigger hole in the thing, and so then my kids would jump off and like just roll into it. (laughs) And so that naturally got me my sweet cuddle time with my children, right, in this mattress at Sky Zone. And my son, who you're gonna be like, who is this kid? But he said, Mom, this works so great because you make a bigger hole because you just keep gaining weight. And then, but then he turned to me and he said, Mom, this is the best night. Thank you so much for being here. See ya. Elliot Hamer? Thank you. I haven't been on stage on, in a long time. The last time I was on stage, I was singing the Shapoopy in middle school. That is, if you know that, that's the one from The Music Man. Uh, that night, I was dancing with the book. In the Shapoopy, you dance with a book. Um, and a Polaroid fell out. This isn't the story. A Polaroid fell out, and it was my chorus teacher, Spread Eagle. If you don't know what that means, I'm not going to explain it. Her daughter was backstage. Uh, she was working crew, and she picked it up, and she ran into the bathroom and flushed it down the toilet. And the janitor plunged the toilet and got it out, and it made its way to the principal's office, and she got fired. So now I'm back on stage. Hopefully this goes better. Sorry, Mrs. Graves. Um, Okay, so this story, it's like two weeks ago, a friend, I got a text from a friend, he says, uh, you know, you don't want to go to a holiday party. So I say, okay, sure thing. Um, The night of the party, he says, hey man, uh, attire, you should be dressy, but nothing crazy. It is an adult party. And so it's like, okay. And then I started thinking, adult party, you know what, last year, I do remember him attending a swingers party that he told me about, and I didn't know that this was the same party, and my realization was, yes, it is the same party, it's a swingers party, and I said, is this the swingers party? And he said, no, this is the swingers slash orgy party. (laughs) Okay, I'm in. 
Uh, so, so yeah, like who wouldn't, right? It's like great. So, so we go to the Harmony. Uh, it's a tequila and birthday cake themed thing at the Harmony that night. Just gets you off to like a great start. Um, and so then we go to the party. So I um, walk in the door, and someone hands me a marker, and they say, write your name on the wall. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I write my name on the wall. I'm right-handed. I write my name on the wall. And then, and then I take like another two steps, and my friend's talking to someone, and someone says, ooh, you look nice. <laughs> and I was like, well, thank you. Uh, so then I make my way into the party. There's lots of people. Never met them before, but I'm, you know, trying to be social. Uh, we walk into the kitchen. There's fucking, like, wine, liquor all over the place. Just, like, open, you know, just oh, so much liquor. It was great. So, like, pour us a drink. Have a drink. Have another. Um, and then, uh, so I'm just kind of, you know, hanging out, chatting to a few people. And then the host comes up, and she, like, jumps on the couch, and she's like, I have an announcement. Um, and so she says, if you wrote your name on the nice list, someone's got to do something nice for you. <laughs> and they'll cross your name out, and then they'll do something nice for you. And then if you got something done nice for you, you have to cross someone's name off. The naughty list. Um, okay, so yeah. Flashback. I had written my name on the nice list. So I think I'm in the clear. So I'm sitting down on the couch, uh, you know, just chatting a few people up, feeling, feeling good after uh, a few uh, whiskeys I made myself. And then someone walks in the room and they say, Elliot, where's Elliot? I'm sitting there, and I said, they kind of whispered it at first, and then they said, Elliot, where's Elliot? So I was like, hey, that's me. And they're like, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like three people, and then they chat amongst themselves, and they, and they go off. Um, and so then, like a couple minutes later, someone, they walk up to me, and they say, hello, Elliot. I made you this drink. Something nice, right? And, and, and it was like, it was such a wonderful drink. I've never had something of the sort before. It was like a dirty martini with gin and vodka and some like Saint Germain. And I don't know what it was called, but it was, it was like, it was wonderful. So I was like, I was like, wow, that was nice. <laughs> that was, that was really nice. And, and I was like, this is a nice, nice lady made me a nice drink. And then, and then I remembered the rules. Someone does something nice for you, you have to do something naughty with someone else. So I'm not great at following rules. Um, but I figured I was obligated. A beat. So I get my nerves up. I'm like, all right, got to do something naughty. <clears throat> I walk up to the list. Excuse me if you heard that bird. Walk up to the list. There's a list of names. I, I, mean, I have no idea who anybody is. So I'm getting kind of nervous. I've had like my seventh drink by then. <laughs> I tried to recreate the drink that she made me. 
it didn't turn out, it didn't turn out so great. It was not as nice. And so, uh, so I'm like getting really nervous. And then uh, like I end up, uh, you know, hitting my friend's vape pen a few times. So I'm sitting down, I'm like doing something naughty. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, what am I going to do? Getting a little paranoid here. Uh, so like I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm, I'm like, oh man, what's going to happen? And so then I look up and the woman who made me the very nice drink is standing next to a very large man and he's eyeing me and I'm thinking naughty swingers party. He's definitely gunning for me. So I'm sitting there and I mean, he, he's a, he's a bigger guy. He's got a, like a phenomenally large ass. He's very hairy. Like. I'm not against, I'm a pretty hairy guy myself, and, but he's much, he's like much larger, he's like, kind of like that bearish, kind of like a little, little bigger, but also muscles, lots of hair, he's a fine looking guy, and he, anyways. So he's looking at me, he's like looking at me, and I kind of like, like looked over at him, and then I was like, is this what's supposed to happen? At an adult swingers slash orgy party? <laughs> So, so I'm like weighing, you know, I'm like weighing the pros and cons. I'm like, shit, okay, it's Christmas. Um, the half Irish Catholic side of me says, if someone says you're supposed to do something, you, you know, you follow the rules. I, you got you to gotta follow the rules and I'm supposed to do something naughty and I, I should. Um, So I thought that was half. And then the other half, the Jewish side of me said, you know, I'm a Jew and not even Santa's going to come down my chimney tonight. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, just one, one more thing. In addition to donations to breast cancer, which, Emily, your, your story was so amazing tonight. It's a real Sophie's choice if you're going to vote for her for first place or myself, I'm sure. But I just want to say other organizations like, uh, uh, like Polaris or uh, Foundations Against Domestic Abuse, instead of buying someone some shit that they don't really need, let's give this whole season and not worry about stuff. So if you haven't picked something out for someone, please do something like donating um, because who needs more shit? Thank you, Elliot. Our next storyteller is Mary Meist. Please give it together, or please put it together for Mary Meist. Hi, this is my very first time. So, thank you. Um, so, I went to the University of Minnesota. I'm very sorry. Um, but I am from Wisconsin, I'm from Fond du Lac. And um, every year, um, around Christmas time, I would drive back from Minnesota to Fond du Lac. In my sophomore year, I did not have a car, so I went with my best friend, Abe. Um, Abe is not her real name. Her real name is Anne. Her last name is Lincoln, so Abe Lincoln. Um, and Abe had this really old Cutlass Supreme, like that old mobile. Yeah, yeah, it was a red, and it had white trim, and it was... It was old. Um, so she picks me up. I had a final on I had my international relations final 
Um, and it was snowing really hard that morning, and I was an hour late to my final. I thought I was on time, but I turned out to be an hour late, but it was okay. Um, so she picked me up. All my stuff was in her car, and we were going to drive to Milwaukee um, because her parents lived in Milwaukee, and my dad was going to pick me up there, and it all was going to work out. This was on December 23rd. And we, you know, if you ever driven from Minneapolis on Highway um, Interstate 94, uh, we got onto the on-ramp and we suddenly like started sliding and going crazy and we're just like, we, we straightened out and we're like, oh, thank God, if that's the worst thing that's going to happen to us today. Yeah, <laughs> no. Um, so her car was a piece of shit. And I never valued how important windshield wiper fluid was. <laughs> until that day. And it, she had windshield wiper fluid, don't get me wrong. It was the motor that sprayed the windshield wiper fluid that stopped working. So there was a snowstorm the night before. So the highway was like completely like dirty slush. And every stop, like we would just get totally covered in that dirt, you know, that grime that you get on your car. And so every stop, we had to pull off, go into a gas station, wipe off the wiper, you know, the, the windshield, the back. So long story short, we got to Mauston eight hours later from Minneapolis. Yeah. And so we left at like one, and it was already nine o'clock, and we're like, oh my God, we're not going to get to Milwaukee until like 3 a.m. And she's like, oh, I got this great idea. I am going to go call my boyfriend whose family has a cabin in the middle of nowhere near Reedsburg. Um, I don't know if anybody knows where Reedsburg is. I mean, it's kind of like this small little town, but they, they didn't even live in the town. They had this cabin in the middle of the woods. So she calls her boyfriend. She's like, he, well, he's like, yeah, we can go ahead. You know, we got the key, like told us where the key was hidden. So we drive an hour out of the way from Boston to this little cabin, seriously, in the middle of nowhere. But it was beautiful, because it was like snow everywhere, the moon was out, and it was just like this really serene, beautiful place. She grabs the hide a key, gives it to me, and she's like, Mary, go on, get into the cabin, you know, um, bring your stuff. So I open the cabin, and it's dark, and all I can see is this figure in the middle of the room. And I have no idea what it is. I'm like, what is this thing? So I turn on the light. It's an elk. <laughs> Not a live one. It wasn't live. <laughs> no, no, no. It was stuffed. It was a stuffed elk. But it wasn't mounted yet. So it looked like the elk was coming out of the floor. <laughs> so we did what any normal 20-year-old high school or college students would do. We took pictures with it. We might have kissed it. So we're in the middle of nowhere. We pop in a movie, you know, the 90s classic Ever After with Drew Barrymore. Yeah. So gets to about midnight, and it's just wrapping up, and we're feeling good. We're like, God, this really worked out. We had a shitty drive, and we got to, we, we got to a cabin. We're going to go to bed. We're going to wake up, and we're going to finish our drive to Milwaukee the next morning. So we turn off the television and all of a sudden, we hear, oh my God, somebody's outside. 
what the fuck? We're like, what do we do? Like, we just looked at each other, frozen. We just keep on hearing this knocking. We're like, oh my God, there's a serial killer outside. What are we going to do? What do we have? Okay, I got a candlestick. She has a remote. I don't know what she's going to do with the remote. but So we slowly creep up to the door. I'm sorry, it's just, we open the door, and it's this little old woman. Her boyfriend's grandmother came to see if we were okay. Yeah. He was there, too. He was, he was in the car. Um, so we were like, oh, that was, that was so great. You know, thank you. And they just kept driving. They were on their way to Chicago. And the next morning, well, we went to bed. Next morning, we woke up, and it was beautiful outside. And we got to Milwaukee in an hour. So that was my Christmas nightmare story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. So these are going to be the last three stories of the night. And that's fantastic because, I don't know, save the best for last. I I guess we'll see, right? Uh, Before we get to... Our next three stories, I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm super nervous about this. This is a story that I've never told anybody outside of my immediate family, outside of the people who were there when this happened. And I'm, I'm also especially nervous because there's not really an ending to this story. It's not a funny story, so I'll, I'll warn you now. Uh, so if you were here last month, you heard the story where I told you about the night my mom died. And the, the woman who gave birth to me is still alive. Uh, and my mom is an alcoholic. The woman who gave birth to me is an alcoholic. They're the same person. But, but last month I told you the story about the night that she stopped being my mother. Nine years ago, I was 21 years old, and I was, dealing, uh, I was dealing with the fact that I was the only person in my family who understood that my mom was an alcoholic. I'm a pastor's kid. My dad, my dad is a pastor, and my mom, my whole life growing up, was a worship leader at the church I went to. Fuck yeah, right? And... Uh, she started drinking a lot. And I just remember being 20, 21 years old and like understanding like, hey, you drink way more than like the average person. And, and, and more so, you drink to feel a certain way. You drink because of a thing. You drink because this, that, the other. So nine years ago, I was 21. No one in my family understood that she was an alcoholic. I would tell people all the time, I'd say, hey, she's an alcoholic. She's drinking a shit ton all the time. I would tell that to my dad. I would tell that to my brother and my sister. But it, so I was living at home still, and my brother and sister were out of the house. Nobody really understood what was going on. So at 21, it's Christmas time. We go to my grandma and grandpa's house, uh, my mom's parents' house, which at the time was in Minnesota. 
And if my immediate family didn't understand that she was an alcoholic, they really didn't understand. My aunts and uncles and my grandparents, they had no... My grandparents were pastors in Madison for 40 years, so they dealt with people all the time that were going through these tragic situations like alcoholism and deaths and blah, blah, blah. But they had no way to grasp that their own daughter was going through this, like, horrible alcoholism. And I remember we had dinner at this house they were renting in Minneapolis and uh, it was just weird. It, like, I could tell that my mom felt a certain way. And, and like, now looking back on it, I know that my mom felt that way because she hadn't had anything to drink. She couldn't drink in front of her parents who were pastors and, and wouldn't allow her to drink. But I knew, like, that she was, like, fiending, right? And so... She was kind of nuts. <laughs> Always she was kind of nuts, but especially once she became an alcoholic. And she, uh, her interpersonal relationships and things like that were just deteriorating as those do for alcoholics. And so like my, my dad and my mom's relationship was just horrible. My relationship with my mom was extremely horrible. Um, and I remember sitting in the living room of my grandparents' house and my mom and my grandma and my uncle were sitting in, their, uh, in the kitchen. And I heard my mom say something along the lines of like, you know, Adam treats me like shit. He, he, he doesn't show me any kind of love and it's this, that, and the other. And here's the reasons. And I was so pissed off. Because those reasons were such bullshit. I, I don't have a good relationship with you because you're a fucking drunk. Because you come home every night with a bottle of white wine and sunflower seeds. If you listen to the last episode of the podcast, you'll hear about the sunflower seeds. You come home every night with that shit and, and sit in your room and drink all night. Like, how, how could I have a good relationship with you? So, I went into the kitchen... And just said, hey, if you're going to talk about me, I would appreciate if you talk about me to my face. And this is Christmas, so I was being pretty confrontational in Christmas, at Christmas time. But I think, like, I think that's a reasonable request. That if you're going to talk shit about me, at least allow me to be present and, and have a, a defense of it. And my mom said, oh, we weren't talking about you. And like, I, listen, maybe she wasn't. But at the time, I would swear to you 100% that she said what she said about me, that Adam is this and that and the other. And I said, bullshit. You, I'm, I just heard you say this to me. I just heard you say that I treat you like shit and that, you, that I do this to you and I do that to you. And it's bullshit because you're a fucking drunk who, who takes it away that, as a drunk. And my grandma said, no, she didn't say anything about you. And I said, I know she said something about me. I heard it. And then my uncle, who was a power lifter, 
He's a guy who's had cancer four or five times, but he continues to be a power lifter. He's huge. I'm 6'5". He's about as tall as I am. He can definitely bench more than I can. He can definitely squat more than I can. He's huge. He stood up, got in my face, and screamed at me, Hey! She wasn't talking about you! Calm down! And looking back on that, I didn't know what I was feeling at that time. But looking back on that now, I I can tell you that what I felt was betrayal. I felt that every single member of my family, because it was my aunt and uncle, my other aunt and uncle, my dad, my sister and brother, all of my cousins, they were all in the general vicinity of that room. I felt so betrayed by all of them. I was the only one who knew that this woman was an alcoholic and was being a shithead because of it. And I just remember this feeling of like, I have to leave. I have to get out of here because I'm the only one who knows this and I'm totally betrayed. You all are against me. This was like Christmas Eve, by the way. And so I walked outside and my, the hotel we were staying in was like, like 15 miles away. So I had nowhere to go. So, so after standing outside for 10 minutes, I walked back inside and I walked downstairs and I was sobbing. Uh, I was just so... I was so sad. It just felt like everybody that was important in my life was against me. And so I walked downstairs of my grandparents' house and I proceeded to have the worst panic attack ever. I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack, a real panic attack. I thought I was dying. I remember I, I sat down on the couch and I, I cried for an hour and I was hyperventilating. And I could hear my family upstairs opening presents because it was Christmas Eve. We were celebrating Christmas. And I remember laughing and their laughter. This is so overdramatic now. I think about it now and I think, oh, you fucking emo kid. But I remember at the time, I I would hear their laughter echo down the halls. And and I wrote this down shortly after. I said, the the laughter echoing in the halls echoed in my heart as rage. I was so angry. I was so betrayed. And eventually my dad came down. My dad and my brother came downstairs. And I was barely able to stand. Stand. I was barely able to sit, but I stood up and my dad came behind me and wrapped his arms around me. And when he did that, he put his hand on my chest and felt my heart. And my heart was beating so fast. And I remember when he put his his hand over my chest, he jumped and he took his hands off me. And he looked at my brother and said, take out your phone because I think we need to call 911. I think he's having a heart attack. I fucking hate Christmas. 
That's why I chose this theme. I hate Christmas. Because since that day nine years ago, that's what Christmas is to me. I hate it. Christmas is the realization that everybody is against me. <laughs> that sounds like such horseshit, emo kid bullshit. But I don't know. I love you guys. I love Madison Story Slam. And I feel like I can share this with you guys and find some sort of sense of healing from that story. I love that we just did this, this charity thing for breast cancer. That's incredible to me that you guys, during that break, lined up to the stage to buy CDs to do that. That's incredible. That's Christmas. That's the holidays. I hate Christmas. But I love what we've got here. Uh, that's all I've got for you. But... Uh, Thank you. Um, our next storyteller has told a few different stories at Story Slam, and they've always been good. So please show appreciation for Shauna Youngdahl. Happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, well, first and foremost, I actually just want to say thank you to Adam because literally everything that he just said is like, holy fuck, he took the words right out of my mouth. It was almost like there was everything that he just said is like played in my, in my holidays, not even just Christmas, but every single family gathering. And you will hear all about it in just a minute or so. So I'm, I think I'm... I'm thankful that I'm not the only person to suffer through this time, these times of the year. It's tragic, but it's just, it's good to know that there's other people miserable out there with me. So um, let's get this through the shit fest together, shall we? Um, so clearly, um, as you can't already tell, uh, the holidays, no matter what it is, if it's Christmas, Thanksgiving, Arbor Day, Egg Day, I don't know what the calendars are brewing anymore. Um, getting together with my family is just not something that I look forward to. I think when I was younger and more unconscious of the time, I was something like, yay, family, get-togethers, love. And then once I started to grow up more and started to realize that my family was one of those stereotypical ones that... Uh, just seemed like a real-life version of the real world where, at first, you'd get together and everyone'd be like, hey, we're all so different, but we have uh, unique personalities that would get together. But then almost immediately afterwards, we all clash and hate each other. As an adult, that's what I've quickly come to find. So, um, what is it, like 10 days from now? 10 days from now on Christmas is going to be one of like, the lowest points of my life. And I'm sorry I'm like shitting on this right now for you. Everyone else who enjoys it, yay! For me, I'm going to be crying my eyes out. Um, so for Christmas and all the holidays, it's just not the greatest time of the year for me. But I got to do that shit because of the most important reason, free food. Love it. I'll go anywhere for that. Um, 
So what I'm going to be sharing for you today is one of my most shining moments in my life. Um, when I first turned 21 was when I was, of course, able to drink more freely. Not saying I didn't indulge in a fine odules every now and then. I like to spoil myself. Um, but when I was 21, of course, the family holidays always had the little uh, Sutter Home wine bottles at the festivities, but that shit wasn't good for me because I knew when I'd be going to these family holidays, I needed to jack that up a little bit. So I went to the store and got some like $4.99 bottles of wine, and I was going to just put that in my bag and be like, Whenever anything were to go wrong on Christmas, I'm just going to go to the bathroom and sneak a little sip of this and just get through the day. I thought I had a great plan. I'm just like, this is what adults do. In the holidays or in anything that, you know, pisses them off or gives them anxiety, they're going to sneak some alcohol and just have a great time them damn selves. Right? That's what adults freaking do. Um, yeah, I didn't plan that best, but let's not get ahead of ourselves here. So I'm from Illinois, I've shared that before. You can silently boo, loudly boo, do whatever you have to do, but I get to any place I want in less than 10 minutes, so screw everybody. Um, but so I get down to Illinois and um, I have my little secret bottle of wine. Um, and then all my family gathers there together. And like I said, we're just a bunch of great, uh, great group of vegetables, or a melting pot of unique personalities. I don't know how the hell to describe this uh, whatsoever. Um, but so just to give you some inclination of what this looks like, it's just like my nuclear family. Don't get along with my parents that well, hope you frickin' do. Um, aunts and uncles, we get a mixture of uh, super liberal hippies, hate everything about like, especially like the current administration, not even, this is like 10 years ago, but just to give you an idea of how they are, Super liberal hippies grow their own weed, brew their own beer. Kombucha runs through their blood veins. That's how they live. But then you have, like, the super conservative, I have shotguns and stuff in my pocket. I don't know if they fit there. But so you get both of the ends of the spectrum. And then one of my aunts is, unfortunately, an alcoholic whose choice is to steal um, my dad's mouthwash uh, when we're at holiday festivities, so we can't get away with any of that. Um, and then we have my super religious grandparents, so it's just like, like I said, a fucking weird melting pot of random personalities. When at first we gather together and everyone's like, yay, family, but then I'm usually the one to tip it all off to be like, don't forget, we hate each other. Um, so as, you know, the day progresses, everything starts to come unwind. Um, first... My mom starts to say some stuff that's just, you know, she likes to guilt trip me into some stuff, and so I sneak away into the bathroom and take my little sippy poos, and like I said, I was 21, and I'm not, as you can see, I'm not how Adam was describing his uncle. I am very tiny. I don't, uh, you know, it doesn't take a lot for me, so I'm taking these little sippy poos. Um, so mom already got me started there. We get started a little bit more, so my brother says something to me, and it gets me a little bit teed off. I'm like, thanks, big old brother. I'm glad we have great sibling connection here. Go into my bathroom, take my next little sippy poo. Um, 
Then I remember there was just this little weird, it's my uncle who's the super liberal hippie man, love him, but then one of my cousins was talking about like brandishing like a, a shotgun to, I don't know, like a, like a Hobby Lobby or something to support banning birth control or something. And so they got into a nice little argument there and that was exciting. And so I went back and just snuck away and had a little bit more liquid courage to get through the holiday. And then it was opening presents time, and this is, for a lot of people, one of the best parts of the holidays, but for me is one of the most dreaded, because I never get anything that I ask for, never get anything that I would even want. One year, I got my mom's uh, underwear from the 1970s. Um, you know, if it were any more stylish, it would be okay, because like Adam was saying, like, socks are the shit, but this is not new underwear, it's used underwear, it has teeny tiny flowers on it, I'm not a floral person, I like stripes, maybe a funny little quip on it, not flowers. So it was awkward. I get like Justin Bieber Mad Libs, which is kind of funny, but when you're a broke-ass student out in Madison, Wisconsin, I need fucking money. Um... So it's just opening presents, and I get shit that I don't need, like, I don't know, a hammer. And so I just go back to the bathroom and take some more sips. And so by this point, I've had, like, maybe, I don't know, like, five or six getaways to the bathroom. My aunt's probably drunk as me at this point, and she's starting to cause a ruckus because that's unfortunately what alcoholics do. And so now the whole family is starting to get irate with one another, and just shit starts to explode. And I'm like, fucking great. I love these family get-togethers. But we're used to this by now, so we just go through the typical steps. And as the night progresses, of course, we have to get to the penultimate excitement of the family get-together, is the dinner. And so before I get there, I'm starting to feel a little bit cool, starting to feel a little bit okay with the family. I'm like, you know, this wine is starting to make me feel, you know, mellow. I might start to love one of you soon. But a couple more sips might help me along the way. So before dinner, everyone's getting everything situated. Some of them are sitting down at the dinner table. I sneak back up, have a couple more sips because I'm starting to feel good. So I go back down to where everyone's sitting in the dining room table, sit down, have my little plate of carrots and celery because I'm a vegetarian and nobody cares. And as I'm staring down at my plate, Remember how I said I don't drink that much? And then I've been drinking like this much wine throughout the day? You all know it's about to come. Well, let me give you a visual. I won't do it right. You guys aren't going to get blue man grouped or anything. So I'm sitting there. Everyone's praying because they're doing the whole Christian thing because my grandparents won't let it not happen. But as soon as it gets to like bow your heads and stuff, like the most important part, I bow my head, I look at my little plate, start gagging, slower, but faster. I don't know what to do. Like, do you escape at this moment? Do you be rude and say, I have to excuse myself to the bathroom? Or do you just keep going with everything? At that moment, I had no choice but to just sit there and let it happen. Because... I don't know, I just felt this was the only chance to be with my family and I... We were having an okay time in that moment, so I'm sitting there, prayers are happening, I start to gag, and all of a sudden my grandpa says amen, and all of a sudden the amen came right out of my mouth, all over my food. 
But it wasn't just that one time, everybody. No, it's happening again. And then I start to stand up and everyone starts looking at me. They finally notice I'm there. I'm amazing. I'm standing up and I'm getting it all over the table. I'm sorry. This is not what's going to happen at your Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate, because you're going to handle yourselves much better than I did. But I get it all over the table. I stand up and I try to exit the table, but I'm cramped in because my brother's like 350 pounds. So I get it on him. And now I'm trying to squeeze around him and he's squeezing inside of me and yelling at me and my dad's yelling at me and my mom's screaming and my grandma starts to cry and I'm trying to maneuver around him, but I can't because I'm stuck. But finally my brother just gets up, moves his chair and starts brushing it off of me and starts yelling at me and I'm like, is this what bonding is? I don't think so. But anyway, he's talking to me. Yay! So I finally get around him. I'm holding my hand up to my mouth, but the puke's still just coming through my hand, and I get it on my dad's lazy boy, and he's not too happy about that because that's his one piece of most beloved furniture in the house, and everyone's screaming. Grandma's crying. My mom's thinking, why did I raise my daughter to be this way? And I think, I don't know, Mom. Why couldn't you have done better? But I wanted to puke a little bit more before I left to the bathroom, so I got some in the kitchen, and then I ran back upstairs, puked all over the bathroom, and passed out on the floor. That was actually one of my favorite Christmases, mainly because I don't remember a lot of it, and that was just pretty good thing for me concerning just how much I despise getting together with my family. And as awful as it sounds that I just puked and it seems like I ruined everything on Christmas for probably everyone, that's okay for me. I don't really give a shit. I like to think of the puke as a metaphor for me saying, I'm tired of all of this bullshit and I puke on it all. I'm sick of all of this. I puke on you, Dad. I puke on you, brother. I puke on you, aunt. I puke on you, uncle. Grandma, I love you. I'm not going to puke on you. I love your cooking. Keep on doing it, girlfriend. But I'm going to run up and pass out on the bathroom when I'm done. Thank you all, and happy holidays. Thank you, Shauna. Please give it up for John Nguyen. So I feel kind of like an asshole up here because my family's never been very big on the whole Christmas thing. We were more of a $10 Walmart gift card underneath the end table fuchsias rather than a Christmas tree and dinner sort of family. But this story takes place sophomore year. December, it's Christmas Eve. Everyone's feeling very festive. The backstory is that I went to college and like every good college freshman, I come out of the closet, start voting for Democratic aldermen, start knitting. <laughs> but most importantly, and most impactful, I come out as a vegetarian. And this is unacceptable for my family. So for every gathering that I go to afterwards, a regular ritual for me becomes going to India Palace before and after every gathering, since I'll have nothing to eat. Sophomore year, it's Christmas, I come home. I feel all right about it because, you know, I don't need to pay rent for this week of dorms. 
But on the other hand, I'm probably going to need to go make a visit to my good friend Ashish. But I walk down to the basement of this buffet where we have our spread for our Christmas dinner. We don't really believe in sitting down because otherwise too much food will get flinged at each other. And I see a plate of what looks like fried tofu and roasted broccoli and boiled cabbage. And I start having this internal epiphany that maybe my family started accepting me. Maybe someone at some point during the week-long preparations for Christmas dinner among the eight aunts that I have decided that maybe we should make something for our vegetarian family member. So I scoop up about probably eight spoonfuls of tofu, more than I could reasonably digest in a 24-hour period. I sit down next to my two cousins who are both varsity football players and eat about as much beef as the average Midwestern town does over a course of three days. I cut into it ready to partake in our family culinary joy and find that someone's hollowed out the cube of fried tofu and stuffed it with ground beef. (laughs) And the broccoli, in fact, was fried in lard and learn very soon after that that the boiled cabbage somehow had pork incorporated, but the details were pretty scant about how that worked. (laughs) One thing I did learn was that when you have eight small Asian aunt's fingers worth of ingenuity, you can stuff me into essentially anything. And that I also needed to make another run to India Palace. (laughs) That's all. (laughs) Thank you, John. Our next storyteller is our last storyteller of the evening. So be prepared for something amazing, I'm sure. I, I think, Renee, you've only told one story... One time. I think you've only told one story before. Uh, but it was really good. I, did you win the one time you told the story? Yes. Renee won the last time she told a story, but she didn't stick around until the end of Story Slam. So she didn't get her prize, which is, which is sad. Ready? One, two, three. Ah. Please put your hands together for Renee Lajak. Don't feel too bad. I almost left. I came back and I did get the prize, so it was fine. Christmas Eve to me is, unlike some of the previous stories, Christmas Eve can be quite nice. Candles, food, gifts. That's the night we open our gifts. Christmas Eve to my father was the chance to leave work early and start drinking early. Um, He wasn't a mean drunk, just kind of a sloppy, obnoxious drunk. I want to tell you about one Christmas Eve in our family when I was about mm, 14 or 15. Uh, We were celebrating Christmas Eve at my brother's house, my older brother's house. He had recently gotten married. So it was, um, I think, probably the first Christmas Eve for him as an adult in his own house. And we were there, and we were also sharing it with his in-laws. So we didn't know them real well. We did know that, or maybe we found out soon after, they were teetotalers. 
So that was a little bit different. And um, so we're just standing around. My father hadn't arrived yet. Well, uh, standing around, enjoying the food, da-da-da-da-da. My father came in the back door. He made it up into the porch, but he didn't quite make it into the house. There was a wall with a window, and he must have tripped or something, and he came through the window. So <laughs> there was um, a lot of swearing, a little bit of blood, some tears, and I'm guessing probably some recriminations and judgments from the new in-laws, but uh, I'm not sure. Anyway, we pulled it together, and we had a decent Christmas Eve, opened the gifts, but it was a little bit tense, as you can imagine. There was an underlying feeling of, of tension. The next day, Christmas Day, we would go to my mother and father's house and have lunch, or dinner at lunchtime. So we had dinner. It was fine. It was still that little bit of tension underneath everything, but it was okay. Afterwards, my brother and I went out in the backyard to shoot hoops, because that's what we would do. And you know, some Christmases, there's not a lot of snow, so you can shoot hoops. So we did that, and we're out there having fun, and my brother passes to me. He's six foot two, and I'm down here at four foot nine. But anyway, he passes to me, and I miss, and the ball hits the back door. Bam! The whole storm door is just, you know, those metal storm doors. And my brother and I just freeze. We think, oh, our dad's going to be really pissed. And sure enough, about three seconds later, the door opens up a crack, and here comes my father, sticks his head out horizontally, and he's got like a shock of black hair, and he's got these really beady black eyes and big black, he looks, big black eyebrows, he looks kind of like a hungover Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> and he looks at my brother, and he looks at me, and he looks at my brother. And he goes back in. <laughs> he disappears. He doesn't say a word. My brother and I are just looking at each other. We're just looking at each other. What happened? And then we realize, oh, yeah, because Dad had broken his window. He sure as hell couldn't say anything about my brother possibly breaking his window. And we said, it's the spirit of Christmas karma. Thank you. Hey, that spirit of Christmas karma is going to get you every time. I know from experience. Again, hope you had a very Merry Christmas, a Happy Holiday, and that your new year is going to be wonderful. I know that here at Madison Story Slam, we've so much enjoyed this year, and we're looking forward to the new year, new opportunities. Like I said, we're teaming up uh, February 8th with Wisconsin Public Television for our first story slam with them, Resiliency and Gardening. But before that, on January 20th, we'll be back at the Wilmar Center uh, for the Liar Liar uh, story slam. I'm doing this backwards. And then on February 17th, we'll be at the Wilmar Center again for There Will Be Blood. So prepare all your marvelous stories because I know you have them. Uh, come to Story Slam. Invite friends to be a part of the community that we are building through storytelling. You're a big part of my life, a big part of the positive. You're a big positive part of my life. I don't know. Am I making sense? Can you tell that I'm still in a little bit of a Christmas coma? Ah, so many cookies. So much ham and turkey. Anyway, as always, I'll see you next time. 
and I love you.